Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. It's V, the Grill Economist, coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News. Uh, Rogue News in the afternoon, noon, whatever you want to call it. I'm flying solo today with my main man, without my main man, CJ, who was holding down the fort on the back end. We had some scheduling issues, so I apologize for the lateness of this broadcast. Anyway, check us out, roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter, at Real Rogue News, Rogue News on every single podcasting app, known to humanity. Uh, for those of you that was hanging out with CJ last night over at the uh, the, the live voice chats over at the Discord I want to thank all you for uh, for getting on board with that. That's pretty cool. It's awesome. And also check out our paid sponsors, mycbdedibles.com. Mycbdedibles.com for all your CBD edible goodness. It is the place to be, if you know what I mean. And with that all out of the way, folks, uh, there's a lot to get into. There's a lot to break down today. Uh, the crisis in Eurasia. Okay. Uh, I was having a an interesting conversation as of late to, with a you know with, with, with a buddy, and the topic that it comes to mind, the thing that is happening here is it's quite remarkable, right? Because you know we're talking about the Eurasia and all the things that are happening in Eurasia and all this great paradigm altering seismic changes, absolutely. Seismic, okay. And one of the things that I like to highlight, folks, that many, many mainstream pundits have forgotten about and no longer are pushed by the mainstream media is Jianjing. Okay, remember the whole plight of the Uyghurs, and you've had myself and Matthew Eret and a whole bunch of other individuals who've exposed that fraud for what it is. And we talked about Xinjiang. And you might say to yourself, uh, V, what is Xinjiang, or the area where the Uyghurs live? Why is that connected with Afghanistan? Well, the key point is this, folks. And I made a comment when this whole entire thing happened about a week ago when Kabul fell. I said that the United States is being chased out of Eurasia. Chased out of Eurasia. Now it's no longer a question of if the American empire will fall and collapse and onto itself. It's just right now at the point of when. And Afghanistan, the fall of Afghanistan, is quite critical. It's quite important to the greater geopolitical game, the great game, as it says. And what people have to realize, folks, is that when you are building the multipolar world, when you're building the One Belt, One Road initiative, when you're building the Eurasian trade corridors that is defining the next generation of humanity, that is setting up the greatest trade zone in God's green earth, that's going to create a tantamount plethora of wealth for those that are living within and partaking therein in that zone preparing humanity to go interstellar that one day, one day our progeny will colonize space itself. And this is all critical to that. The latest fall of Kabul, the latest failure in Afghanistan is connected because any sort of major trade path, trade route or pipeline that is coming out of Afghanistan has to go through Xianjing. And this is the reason why the deep state has been so adamant. This is the reason why the deep state took some guy who was just a nut job named Adrian Zenz, 
Okay? And he's the one who created the entire lie of the Uyghur's genocide that is happening in China. An absolute lie. And he's the one who has zero experience in China, never worked in China, never lived in China, never touched foot in China, never did a business deal in China, never even talked to a Chinese person. I think the only thing Chinese he's ever done was order pork fried rice. Maybe some mushu. Maybe some gum hoy. But all of a sudden, he's venerated as a China expert. Jian Jian and Afghanistan is connected. And the failure of the propaganda that is in Xinjiang, isn't it amazing that right about the same time, the, the Xinjiang Uyghur genocide propaganda nonsense outright hit piece psychological operation fell to pieces also happens to be directly correspondent with the very time that the U.S. kind of threw up its hands and said, you know what, uh, Afghanistan is a lost cause. Do you sit there and wonder why that we cannot evacuate the tens of thousands of Americans, God knows how many, are behind enemy lines at this point? You have to wonder why we cannot get 100 C-17 Globemasters there and several dozen C-5 Galaxies there all at the same time. Do you ever wonder why we cannot do a mass evacuation, folks? Right, that we got to wonder why that now we are asking permission from the Taliban to, hey, can we have some safe passage, please? We'll pay you. You have to wonder why at this point that we're asking the French and the British, the Spaniards, and 41 other nations are being called upon and being called by this U.S. administration to ask for help. Why is that? Why can't a great power be able to rapidly, in a day or two, amass a flotilla, an armada of, of transport aircraft, C-5 Galaxies, C-17 Globemasters, C-130 Hercules, and shuttle its population that is behind enemy lines in a matter of a few days, a day or two? Why is that? I'm going to tell you why. The reason why is that we cannot we cannot field that many aircraft. One of the things that people don't realize, see, when you're exceptional, Stan, and you spend your military budget, a trillion-dollar military budget, and out of that trillion dollars, what actually goes into maintaining that military, supplying that military, and providing for those frontline troops and forces and equipment is, 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 is only a small fraction. The majority of the money that goes to the military-industrial complex is forfeited. It is, it is basically stolen. It is put into all sorts of uh, various shell companies and shell projects and shell programs that lead to nowhere except to the back pockets of the industrialists. So they have a backlog, folks of aircraft that need maintenance and repair. In other words, the great superpower, the hyperpower, as we're told, on the global stage cannot field the amount of aircraft needed in order to lift its own population out of there. Think about that for a second. Why do you think it takes months for the U.S. just to amass a force to go, go to war? Whether the war is 10,000 troops or 20 or 30 or 50,000 troops or 100,000 troops, it takes them months to get them positioned. Why? Because the maintenance backlog on equipment needs to be caught up with. And then only, and then only, are they able to field a sizable force. 
Folks, I'm not the I, I'm probably the only one that mentioned this, but I'm not the only one that's noticing this. The others that are noticing this are various military and intelligence agencies all around the world noticing that the great lone superpower, quote unquote, is sitting on his hands and asking for help because now it's caught between a rock and a hard place. It cannot field the type of weapon systems. It cannot field the cargo aircraft necessary in order to rescue its own citizenry. This is a huge wake-up call. Huge wake-up call. You could, you, you could bet, folks. You could bet. That pallets of cash will soon be inbound to Kabul. It will soon be inbound into the hands of the Taliban. You can bet. Because situation is getting spun very quickly out of control. There's an interesting transcript that I want to go through that I want to read. And this interesting transcript kind of breaks down, like what I said. I'm not the only person who has an eye to notice the finer details, recognizing the fact that, hey, why can't the hyperpower evacuate people? Why is this an abysmal failure? Why is it that the British Ben Wallace, their, their uh, what, uh, secretary general or whatever, whatever his position is, and escapes me at the moment, but why is it the only thing he can do is, is put on some crocodile tears and feign, oh, we can't. We cannot simply rescue our people. <laughs> it's terrible, I tell you. It's the only thing you can do. Because the West has gutted its industrial base. And when you've gutted your industrial base, you cannot maintain your operational efficacy. Now, this is a speech by the Hezbollah Secretary General, Syed Hassan Nasrallah. And this was on August the 17th, 2021. And I'm going to read this transcript. And this is where he talks about Afghanistan. And this is Hezbollah. This is the leader of Hezbollah, the most vaunted guerrilla army on God's green earth. Fearsome fighters, Israel knows how incredibly adept, resourceful, intelligent, and incredibly brutal on a battlefield Hezbollah is. And so does ISIS. ISIS would literally run when they would fight at Hezbollah. And this is what Nazarallah said. You know, who Hezbollah, terrorist group. Yes. The terrorist group of Hezbollah, the fundamentalist Islamists, the Western media will tell you. Fundamentalist Islamists that head up Lebanon. Yes, they head up Lebanon. They dominate Lebanon politics. They're just dastardly. That's right. You ever go to Lebanon? Nightclubs, bars, women in bikinis, and, and miniskirts. But then the West says that, you know, Western media says, oh, my God, it's fundamentalist Islamic. They... They absolutely dominate Lebanon. It's terrible there. Sharia law. The media works on your ignorance, folks. The point I'm trying to make. So anyway, let me get into Nasrallah. My last point is Afghanistan, which I quickly mentioned before. What is happening in Afghanistan right now is an emergency situation that is grabbing the attention of the whole world. Inside the United States, this is the main event all are talking about. And, of course, everyone blames each other. Just like in Lebanon, people are all the same. The Republican Party blames the Democrat Party, blames Biden, and describes the scene as humiliation for the United States as proof of weakness and helplessness, failure, historic defeat, shame, disgrace, etc. If we want to faithfully describe the political situation in the United States, we can say that they are tearing each other apart. The same goes for the position of European countries. Of the leaders of certain European countries who speak with very strong and very negative words to assess the situation in Afghanistan, it is indeed a striking and vitally important spectacle, filled with lessons to be learned, and we all must. It is not something that one or two speeches is enough to describe, for the situation continues to develop and deserves everyone to watch it carefully and think about it seriously, very seriously.
This should not simply be of interest to pseudo-experts in strategic issues, who are very numerous today. Experts, analysts, no, all men and women must feel that what is currently happening in Afghanistan is their concern, and all that has been said so far remains little in the face of the importance and consequences of what is happening in Afghanistan at the historical, strategic, ideological, cultural, political, psychological, and moral levels. And those who must be the most uh, seditious in the reading and interpretation of this considerable event to draw the strategic and historical consequences from it are the peoples of this region. Yes, the peoples of the Middle East must first to care about what is happening. Because what is happening in Afghanistan is a very big and even masterful lesson. The images that you see and have all seen on TV screens speak for themselves. And all the media around the world follow the broadcast what is happening. Because however strong the censorship system of the United States may be, it is powerless to prevent the mass distribution of these images. On the subject of social networks and the internet, which the United States has opened up and spread around the world to instrumentalize them in color revolutions here and there. They find themselves caught in their own trap. Because even inside the United States, the government of Biden can certainly influence such newspapers or such television channels to dissuade them from broadcasting these humiliating images. But how could it prevent millions and tens of millions of users of social networks who disseminate and share these images? And glory to God, these are exactly the same images as in Vietnam, as in Saigon. The Americans climbed stairs to access a helicopter on a roof and escape. We see exactly the same thing happening at Kabul airport. It's extraordinary. A real photocopy. Can we believe that this is just a coincidence? Either way, the images of Afghanistan and the fall of Afghanistan is the hands of the very movement that the United States fought for 20 years and expelled from power before handing the country over to them on a silver platter. The Taliban flag flies over Kabul airport. I have already mentioned Afghanistan in my previous speech. And today Biden took the floor to try to defend himself. I said that before, that instead of rushing to achieve the withdrawal of his troops, as long as American forces were present, and since the Afghan forces formed by the USA have 300 to 400,000 members between soldiers and police forces, he should have cut a deal between the Afghan government and the Taliban, in the favor of the formation of a transnational government, which would have avoided everything that has happened, allowing the United States to withdraw with dignity. Why didn't he do this? Because he couldn't bear to stay any longer in Afghanistan? Honestly, it's not out of respect that Biden did not do this. And don't take my word for it. Listen to what Biden himself said. Listen to Biden. Listen to his Secretary of State, his National Security Advisor, because now they are forced to explain themselves to the American people. They do not explain themselves to the peoples of the world, but to the American people who is amazed at these humiliating images of defeat and failure. Listen to his explanations and you will understand the American point of view. I'm not going to make you a full TV report, but I hope to I hope everyone will listen carefully to what Biden said yesterday, today, and what American authorities will say in the days to come. Give seriously some time to their statements. At this, will give a good understanding of the historical and strategic consequences of humiliating defeat and the monumental failure of the United States and NATO in Afghanistan. It is a matter of concern to us as peoples of the region and gives us lessons that we can use for our present and our future. I'm going to stop on two points of Biden's speech. In his speech today, we, he said that we have spent over a trillion dollars, and that is over a thousand billion dollars. They spent a trillion dollars in Afghanistan, and they left crestfallen, empty-handed, with Honan's shoes, as the saying goes, humiliated, defeated, and ashamed in disgrace. And this according to the admission of their own media and Western media. What does this prove? That they have failed miserably? That they've been routed? That they are helpless, ignorant, and stupid? Biden himself said that the U.S. did not foresee that the Afghan government and the forces would collapse so quickly and was surprised that neither they neither fought nor resisted. The Secretary of State, the National Security Advisor, said the same thing. What does this indicate? People imagine the United States being a demagogue, omniscient, analyzing and mastering everything at their fingertips. 
knowledgeable about everything, able to plan everything through its state-of-the-art study and planning centers with top-notch skill and technology, with huge and infallible plans, etc. But the reality is far from all that. In our region, the United States is ignorant, unable to understand anything. For decades, they have been repeating the same mistakes, deploying the same experiments and the same calculations doomed to failure. This is one of those lessons to be learned. Biden said it's not the fault of the United States, but the fault of the Afghan forces who did not fight. But my dear, these Afghan forces, you left them without air forces because the air force is in your hands and you did not allow them to develop it while claiming that you spent a trillion dollars. This is the first point. Second, these are Afghan forces were led by your generals who prepared doomed war plans for them. What war plans did you concoct? What military advice did you provide these Afghan forces? Third, what did Biden want ultimately? What does this confession reveal? Because he did not know how to hold his tongue? Too entangled in his defense? Awkward and he unmasked himself? He wanted a civil war. He wanted the Afghan forces to war on the Taliban, a war between hundreds of thousands of fighters against hundreds of thousands of fighters, and he would just have to sit down and enjoy the spectacle bloody in Afghanistan. Whereas if he had humanity and cared for the well-being of people, as he claims, he would have presided over an agreement and a settlement of the conflict before withdrawing from Afghanistan. This contempt for the life of Afghans is an ethical and moral downfall of the American administration. This moral degradation is emphasizing even by leading politicians and commentators in the United States and elsewhere. This is why Biden says today that he wanted a political solution between the Afghan government and the Taliban. But that a Sharaf Ghani, the Afghan president, did not want it. You see, Biden pins the blame on him and claims to be faultless. It was you pro-U.S. Afghans who put yourselves at the service of the Americans, who listened to them and obeyed them, who placed your hopes in them and bet on them, and but they got to the point where they told you, quite simply, farewell, bye-bye. And what kind of bye-bye are we talking about? What is happening in Kabul airport is incredible. It is heartbreaking and sad, because in the end, these Afghans who want to flee are human beings. We have all seen this. American military plane advance with dozens of people around it without worrying about them, without the pilot stopping, while they could have run over them. Shocking video shows Afghans hanging onto American aircraft. And he saw that people clung to the plane but took off anyway. Whether they fall and crash horribly to the ground or not, this is not the problem. This is the United States. What I'm telling you is all over the media. I'm not inventing anything. They embarked police dogs, but did not embark the Afghans who collaborated with them. They embarked equipment which costs only money. But they did not embark human beings who are human beings, men with human rights, such as the United States. This is their true face. Everything that is happening in Afghanistan, even in Lebanon, we are absorbed by our daily problems. I hope that we will pay attention to it and will consider it as the pivotal moment that it is because for 50 or 60 years, there was nothing like it. And this will have a great impact on international policies, international relations, international alliances. And today, those who observe and comment on these events most attentively are the Israelis. Because when Biden said, and this is a message to all of America's allies in the region, including Israel, when Biden was defending himself, he said something very, 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 very important. And I hope America's friends in Lebanon and the region will read this very carefully. Biden said American troops cannot and should not be fighting a war and dying in a war in the place of anyone else. If anyone expects the Americans to come and fight for them. This is what Biden says. And in order not to fight for anyone else, he is already to endure a historic and humiliating defeat in Afghanistan, 
when we talk about Lebanon or whatever in comparison, it is only insignificant in detail in the eyes of the Americans. In conclusion, what is happening in Afghanistan are very big and very important lessons. We must take advantage of them and act accordingly to the cultural, ideological, emotional levels. At the level of our choices and our hopes and our readings of the events of our alliances and of our infrastructure at the economic, political, military, and security levels, this was my conclusion during my last speech when I said that we must rely on God and ourselves. We must not wait for the United States, nor their training, nor their advice, nor their support, nor their false promises, nor their plots. We do not want their good, nor their evil. Of course, no good can come from them. The good resides in our people, in our community, in our region, in the Arab Muslim peoples. It is on them that we must rely, because we have all these possibilities and capacities. I am done on the subject. I will meet tomorrow on the 10th night. Peace be upon you. And that is Nazarallah. What a hell of a speech, man. I mean, he talked four hours before that, but his breakdown of Afghanistan, I don't know if you guys caught that. I don't know if you guys paid attention. One of the things Nasrallah said, see, the Hezbollah, though they are a great and vaunted guerrilla army, they also have some really good ground intel, right? And the ground intel is very important. Because Nazarallah gave a little clue here. Folks, let me explain something to you. The entire plan of the globalists, the entire plan of the deep state, they were losing Afghanistan. And they were losing Afghanistan for the last several years. 167 provinces have never ceased fighting okay 167 provinces since september or october of 2001 have never ceased fighting in the last several months in the last several years the taliban have captured the vast majority of those 167 provinces there is no way logistically the U.S. could fight and stay in Afghanistan. The only control it had in Afghanistan was the green zone, which is Kabul. Just like the green zone that is Baghdad in Iraq. And the hope was this. You see, exceptional stand works in two ways. If you cannot divide and conquer, rob, rape, and pillage, using the tactic of dividing and conquering amongst various ethnic groups, if it cannot foment internal strife or civil war, if it cannot start a student revolution utilizing various NGOs, as it's done in Hong Kong and all throughout Asia several times, and if it cannot withhold a region due to a regime change war that has gone sideways, the last tactic of exceptional stand is to create as much chaos and havoc as possible upon its exit. In a way of saying, if we can't have it, no one can. It is a human crisis, a humanitarian crisis nuke bomb that has went off. And what I mean by that is this. The entire plan of the deep state, the entire plan of the U.S. globalists, exceptional stand, was to create a civil war between the 300 and 400,000 Afghan security forces, that is the military and the police, and then the warring members of the, of the Taliban. And that was the thing, to create as much bloodshed, havoc, to even have 5,000 Americans or 10,000 Americans or 40,000 Americans and Afghans who have been supportive of the U.S. to be caught in the crossfire, to be a collateral damage. So the U.S. could say, hey, look, we pulled out. The whole place turned into a bloody civil war. Oh, my God. 10,000 Americans have died. We cannot stand for this. Can you, you, can you imagine this? They wanted to create a bloody collapse. They wanted to create a bloody civil war, have their own citizenry killed, and then claim victimhood and have and claim sympathy from the world. 
and the chaos that, that, that they wanted to create in Afghanistan would have had reverberations in Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, as well as China and Russia, which would have created some major stumbling blocks for the One Belt, One Road initiative. It would have created problems for Pakistan. It would have created problems for India. It would have created problems overall for the multipolar world. And you have to understand the sickness of it. That the U.S., that the, that the Biden administration, that the, the exceptional stand, these globalists that are in power, they were willing to do that. If 3,000 lives were all that was needed for the pretext to, from 9-11 to go in and invade seven countries in five years, then 10,000 American lives slaughtered in Afghanistan is more than it needs to hype up the praise and sympathy from the world on the U.S., and perhaps even provide a pretext to go in with a multinational team, all with all of NATO, to stabilize the situation and to stay there for another 20 to 30 years. But by the grace of God, that didn't happen. But by the grace of God, Kabul fell and the Afghan security forces fled. That was not supposed to happen. That's what they wanted. A massive, drawn-out, and bloody civil war. They didn't get that. And now what would have turned into a catastrophic loss of human life with images of women and children being blown to bits, transposed upon television screens and, and phone screens and tablet screens all throughout the world. Instead of that happening, the image that we got was a C-17 Globemaster trying to take off with people hanging on to it. Was an image of abject defeat. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Alistair Cook when the great analysts out there said this, a huge geopolitical event has occurred in Afghanistan. The implosion of a key Western strategy for managing what Mackinder in the 19th century called the Asian heartland, that it was accomplished without fighting and in a few days is almost unprecedented. It has been a shock, not just for one of those empirical shocks that is soon forgotten, but a deeply traumatic one. Unlike the psychological impact of 9-11, the Western world is treating the experience as mourning for the loss of a loved one. Like that British commander was crying. There have been ministerial tears, chest beating, and even an entry into the first three stages of grief simultaneously. First the shock and denial, then pain and guilt, and finally anger. The fourth stage has already set in in the U.S. Depression, as the polls show, America steadily already swinging towards a deep pessimism about the pandemic economic and prospects, as well as the course on which the American Republic is set. Here we have a clear statement from the editors of the New York Times who that loved one was. The Afghan debacle is tragic because the American dream of being the indispensable nation in a world where the values of civil rights and women's empowerment and religious tolerance proved to be just a dream. I love the fact that the marketing arm of Madison Avenue and the uh, and the deranged minds of Hollywood, the propaganda that they created, that we are the greatest hyperpower on God's green earth, the greatest nation that's ever been done, blah, 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 blah. And everything, every metric and every measure falsified to feed that image. We're the biggest economy in the world. How do we get to be become the biggest economy in the world? Simple. We re-engineered back in the early 80s, back in 1981. We re-engineered the GDP numbers to reflect government expenditure as GDP growth. 
We re-engineered many things, folks. So this way that we could have a, a New York Stock Exchange, a, a Dow Jones Industrial, the blue chip stocks, the blue chip stocks, yes. Oh, the blue chips. Blue chip stocks were over 45% of the companies on the Dow make no money. But they're on there. They're blue chip stocks. They're worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh-huh, sure. You have to understand, folks, it's like I got to give a master class one of these days on how this propaganda worked since the end of World War II. How it worked to create the greatest propaganda, the greatest illusion, and to sell it to the people that they fall into a stupor. Where they believe that these pretexts and these things occur, but it's for the benefit of them and for the benefit of their nation. None of which is true. And what happened last week, people understood right now that the whole entire civil rights and empowerment and tolerance, <laughs> it's all a dream. Michael Rubin, representing the hawkish AEI, pronounced a eulogy over the corpse. Biden, Blinken, and Jake Sullivan might craft statements about the mistakes of earlier NATO overreach and the need for Washington to focus on its core interests further west. And the Pentagon officials and diplomats might contest any lessening of America's commitments with indignation, yet the reality is NATO is a dead man walking. An earlier piece reflecting fury at Biden and the same sense of strategic apocalypse have befallen Washington is best caught in this agonized cry against Again, from Michael Rubin. By enabling China to advance its interests in Afghanistan, Biden also enables it to cut off India and other American allies from Central Asia. Simply put, Biden's incompetence now risks the entire post-World War II liberal order. God help us! <laughs> I love it. I love it. Tom Tungenhat from Britain. He's the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee in Britain. He said this. This isn't just about Afghanistan. It is about us. We are engaged in a challenge over the way the world works. We are seeing autocratic powers like China and Russia challenge the rules and break the agreements we make. <laughs> We're a rules-based order, aren't we? Rules-based order. You know what happened to the rules-based order? It took off on a C-17 Globemaster. Rules-based order. Uh-huh. A paradigm change is happening. Many are deeply angry at Biden. Many are bemused. And how this could have ever occurred. The explanation, however, may be more disturbing. The rioting has been writ in blood on the wall of Afghanistan. There's a limit to how long a corrupt elite, severed from its roots in its own people, can sustain a waning alien culture. But the deeper story is not is one not just of the transformation of the Taliban, but rather of a seismic shift in geopolitics. Western intelligence agencies were so consumed with counterterrorism that they failed to see a new dynamics at play. Certainly might explain what Biden's administration's assessment of the long months it would take for Ghani regime was a risk and failing. The Taliban that we see today, folks, is a completely different animal. It's more complex. It's multi-ethnic. They're not. It's not just all Pashtuns. There's Haziris in there. There's pa there's Uzbeks in there. There's Tajiks in there. Oh yeah, and it's more sophisticated coalition, which is why they have been able, at a such a breathtaking speed, to topple the Western installed government. They talk Afghan political inclusion, and look to Iran. Russia, China, and Pakistan for mediation to facilitate their place in the great game. And let you not be confused for one second. This is the great game. And I laughed. I laughed heartily when the football with clipped hair named Janet Yellen over at the Treasury Department decided to freeze the funds of the Taliban to the tune of $7.5 billion. I laughed at that because you, you have to understand, folks, this is a group of people that their entire life 
have figured out how to operate outside the dollar. And this is why that I have to say, euphemistically, of course, as a joke, if there's any model for an American patriot to model what resistance to tyranny looks like, (laughs) dude, it's the Taliban. They've organized. They were able to organize in such a way they were able to beat modern, advanced technological communications devices. They were able to defeat uh, eavesdropping and spyware devices, right? They were able to out-coordinate, out-smart, out-maneuver the best of the best in U.S. intel, the best of the best of American military coordination. They were able to circumvent all that. On top of all that, they were able to exist without even the use of a single dollar. The third thing, they were able to find help from outside, form allegiances and bonds that, 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 that got around the limitations of their borders, the limitations of their technologies. They were resourceful. And the Taliban is a proof positive, folks, that it's never, as Tony Robbins would always say, it's never lack of resources. It is always lack of resourcefulness. If there's anybody that that you should be inspired by these people. Remember, it was the president, the current administration, the cardboard cutout in chief, the crash test dummy who was in the White House who said, you want to take on the U.S. government, you better have F-15s and nukes. No, all you needed was black pajamas, an AK-47 and a horse. That's it. This is how you do it. I'm not advocating bloody revolution here. But Jesus Christ, you got to give credit where credit is due. Oh my God. I mean, this is, it, I say it very jokingly, very, very euphemistically here. I like what Hobo says. Americans are soon going to be asking the Amish for a lot of help. Hobo, you hit the nail on the head, brother. Many years ago, before the Soviet withdrawal of Afghanistan in 79. I was based in Peshawar, Pakistan, near Afghanistan. I was responsible for diplomatic reporting on the war and engagement with Afghan leaders during the Soviet era. I came to know the Taliban, which had recently been forged by Pakistani ISI under General Hamid Ghul. They were then intensely parochial, geographically, politically sectarian, xenophobic, tribal, and unbendingly rigid. As Pashtun receivers and two the biggest minority ethnic group in Afghanistan, they would kill other ethnicities wantonly. Shia Hazaras in particular, as apostates, were killed. They detested Ahmed Shah Massoud, the Lion of Panjshir, and hero of the resistance to the Soviets, because he was a Tajik. Some of their fundamentalism was fueled by the radicalized strains of Islam, Diobandism and Wahhabism, exports of Saudi Arabia, and Dar al-Islam Hazwa in India. But mostly it was the ancient tribal lore known as Pashtuwali, the Taliban we see today is far more complex, multi-ethnic, sophisticated, which is why they have been able to, with such breathtaking speed, to topple the Western-installed government in Afghanistan. They talk Afghanistan political inclusion, but they reach out to Russia, China, Pakistan, and Iran to facilitate their place in the great game. They aspire to play a regional role as a pluralist Sunni Islamist government. This is why they have been given explicit assurances to these key external partners, that their rise to power will bring neither a bloodbath of score settling nor civil war. They also promise different religious sects will be respected and girls and women can and will be educated. The sweep of the Taliban in power, however, has been years in the making with key outside actors playing a crucial role, part in the overseeing of the metamorphosis. More concretely, as the consensus with the Taliban on the future was reached, these external powers, China, Iran, Russia, Pakistan, have brought their Afghan allies, i.e. other Afghan minorities, who are almost as numerous, to the negotiating table alongside the Taliban. The latter's links with China go back several years. Iran, too, has been engaged with the Taliban and other Afghan components in a similar vein. For at least two decades, Russia and Pakistan engaged jointly. Do you realize the Russians have been in constant communication and talking? with the Taliban for the last seven years. 
As a result of this concerted outreach, the Taliban leadership adjusted to the real politic of Central Asia. They see that the SCO represents the coming regional strategic paradigm, which can enable them to come out of their isolation as political untouchables and pave the path for them to govern and rebuild Afghanistan with economic assistance from the SCO member states. Civil war remains a risk. We may expect that the CIA will try to stand up an, an Afghan counterinsurgency to the new government. We all see that. We all see the the uh, bastard son of Ahmed Shah Massoud. Right? He's not a bastard son, but his name is Ahmed, Ahmed Massoud, right? Named after his father. The Juan Guaido of Afghanistan. We see the CIA pa- uh, plant, Abdullah, the ousted vice president of Afghanistan out in the north hanging out with uh, Ahmed Massoud. Both CIA assets, both controlled by, uh, by, by, the MI, by, by Mossad and CIA in particular. They'll be dealt with. They'll be dealt with. I'm telling you, folks, China's more determined to shape the region than many analysts realize it is often said that China is purely mercantile, interested only in advancing its economic agenda. Yet China's Xinjiang province, its Islamist underbelly, shares a border with Afghanistan. This touches on state security, and China therefore will require stability in Afghanistan. It will not tolerate ethnic Turkic insurgents spurred by the West and the CIA moving into and from Afghanistan into Turkmenistan or Xinjiang. The Uyghurs are ethnically Turkic. We can expect China to be tough on this point. Thus, not only have the U.S. and NATO been forced to exit from the crossroads of Asia in a desperate disarray, but these developments set the stage for major evolution of Russia and China's economic and trade regional corridor plans. They also transformed the security of the Central Asia in respect to Chinese and Russian vulnerabilities there. To be fair, Michael Rubin was half right when he said that rather than enhance America's position against China, Biden has hemorrhaged it. But only half right. Because the missing other half is that Washington was outplayed. Of course. Because everybody on our side is a bunch of lawyers. Right. They're all lawyers. Lawyers who've been instructed Instructed by people from Yale and Harvard, the brilliant minds in Yale and Harvard, and these think tanks who sit around in giant circle jerk committees, mentally circle jerking each other with obsolete ideas and concepts that no longer apply to the 21st century. Guys who sit there and dream of the Bronze Age collapse of human civilization and find that to be the greatest point of human achievement, a collapse of civilization. Men who do not venerate, nor do they like, and have a complete disdain for the Renaissance, which birthed the arts and critical thinking and logic into the Western world. They hate that. These decrepit, dying, decaying old men in their think tanks and the progeny of globalists that they have created, the malcontents that make up these roundtables, may they all burn in hell. May their plans be brought to naught. May their designs fail and break miserably and let their world order crumble because that is exactly what we are witnessing, folks. That is exactly what we are witnessing. Washington, D.C. was playing shoots and ladders. And what do you expect? What do you expect from a country that emphasizes all sorts of insanity while they toss logic and real critical scientific thinking in the streets? They were outplayed. Outplayed by Russia. Outplayed by China. Outplayed by Iran. Western intelligence failed utterly to see the dynamics and the external actors underwriting the very tapestry that is becoming the Eurasian success story. And they still 
do not see all the dominoes that are on the table that are falling into place all around the Afghan pivot. Folks, this is huge. This whole entire piece is a jigsaw puzzle that has already shifted and all the other pieces are falling into place. And when I stay back and I look at my world map, I say to myself, damn, it's impressive. You can see the birth of the multipolar world. You can see the death and the eventual end of the unipolar world. And the faster the system dies, the better off we are. And I'm telling you right now, and as I said it before, we need to be the ones, we the people of the United States of America, we need to be the ones who are in charge of our own history, our own narrative, and our own future. To hell with these politicians. The Afghan thing was probably, it is, it's not probably, it is without a doubt the turning point. It is the Suez moment in American history. It is paradigm altering. From this point onwards, every event going on forward will be accelerated and it will go fast. Because you have to understand the very thing that keeps American supremacy is the dollar. And yes, the dollar is not backed by gold. It's not backed by oil. It's not backed by anything except for one thing. It's backed by the full power of the American military. And that power has been put on display for the entire world to see as weak, flaccid, pathetic, and frail, as well as incompetent. Folks, accelerate your preps, make as much money as you can, and get yourselves and your family out of harm's way. This is the gorilla, and I'm out.